The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump's roadblocks forced Democrats to hone an impeachment strategy. How far and how long will the impeachment saga play out? All the way past the Iowa caucuses, speaking of 2020, Senator Bernie Sanders speaking to NBC News tonight. He says that he's defending his delay in reporting his heart attack. But did he wait too long to disclose all of that plus on foreign policy turkey launching a ground incursion into syria as the u.s stands aside a lot to get through tonight bob cusack is here the editor-in-chief at the hill newspaper and ryan teague beckwith bloomberg news national political reporter but first democrats Democrats in a strategy session tonight, this following that letter that President Trump sent yesterday to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. He says he's not going to play ball. He's not going to cooperate with the Democrats' impeachment inquiry. Now, what does that mean for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, my guest with me to to walk us through all of this? The Hill's editor-in-chief, Bob Cusack, and my colleague here at Bloomberg, national political reporter Ryan Teague Beckwith. Bob, if you're Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, she's received widespread praise for how she's gamed President Trump. But if this impeachment drags on into the 2020 calendar year, could that pose trouble for Democrats? Uh, Kevin, I, I think it could. Certainly, I mean, we're just in the beginning and the first inning of this, and it's it's going well for Democrats. The polls show that. There has been some movement. That is what Pelosi was concerned about, is that most of the country did not favor moving forward with impeachment. That has changed a bit. But if it drags on, I think the timing is very important here because Nancy Pelosi does not want this dragging into 2020. Uh, and I think, you know, the train has left the station. I think it's a matter of time before they move forward on on impeachment. But I wouldn't expect anything, certainly before Halloween, and I think it's more of a November thing. Oh, so holiday plans for <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. Washington. Thanksgiving Ryan. dinner is already ruined. <laughs> Your Uncle Jerry is going to get into a loud argument. Uncle with Jerry, give it up, Uncle Jerry. <laughs> All right, so they've got this big call, Ryan Teague Beckwith, on Friday. Speaker Pelosi, what's her first message going to be to her caucus about where this goes? How is she going to keep them in line? I mean, I think that Trump is making that a little bit easier for her because by going with sort of a maximalist opposition move, uh, that gives an easy way for those who are on the fence to say, this isn't about what did or didn't happen in Ukraine. I just want to get to the bottom of it. And the president is obstructing us. And I, I think if you look at what Biden said, 
He is typically the most cautious of the presidential uh, candidates in the Democratic primary. And that was his message today. It was, um, you know, essentially he's obstructing justice. That's that's the impeachable offense. He didn't even really get into the what happened in Ukraine. I'm really glad you brought that up. We actually have what former Vice President Joe Biden said in which he called on that impeachment uh, for President Trump. Take a listen to Joe Biden. To preserve our Constitution, our democracy, our basic integrity, he should be impeached. Bob, what's I mean, he's the last Democrat to say the last front runner, top tier candidate to say this. I mean, are are progressives really going to care? Are they going to criticize him for for coming this late to the game? I think it's interesting that he's saying this now before the next debate next week. I mean, which is going to be the first debate since the impeachment inquiry has moved forward. I don't think he's going to win over progressives who've been wary of Biden. But at the same time, he was a senator for 30 some odd years. And there is a separation of power here. And remember, President Trump's team did cooperate for the most part with the Mueller probe. They gave over a ton of documents. Now, Trump didn't testify and go under oath, and that was probably a wise move by his lawyers. But here, they're just saying absolutely not. I agree with Ryan. It makes it easier, and it can actually could speed up the process because they don't have to wait for answers. Because I think that going to court and trying to get all these documents, that's going to take forever. And, and I don't think it's going to change any votes. I mean, to, to that point, Bob, if why didn't Speaker Pelosi just have the impeachment vote Right after the transcript came out. Great question. And I think in, in, in covering – trained well, Bob. <laughs> covering I used to work Pelosi, for Bob. Covering Pelosi for a long time is that she didn't – she knew at the time the polls were not on her side. And I think she did not want to have these uh, moderate Democrats who are from Trump districts have that vote. It's a very tough vote. Yeah. I mean I think that uh, it's a very weird strategy when you take a step back. Trump began this with a sort of maximum transparency by releasing – like handing over the whistleblower report, which he had to do, um, but which he could have kept stalling on until a judge ordered him to, um, and then handing over the transcript. So essentially they fired Chekhov's gun and then they switched to um, maximal stonewalling. And it's it's like normally – Normally, you would get stonewalling and tell, okay, a begrudging, all right, here you go. We'll release the, the damning document. But they just handed over the damning document on, like, day one. <laughs> and now they're like, we will give you nothing. I, it's fascinating. It, it is a fascinating it, it, it caught a lot strategy. of folks – it caught a lot of Republicans off guard. I mean there was some chatter behind the scenes when that w- initial whistleblower report came out. They were like, what, what is he – what is he doing? And then, of course, there's this uneasiness that, that the White House won't forecast to, to hill Republicans about what they're going to do. Speaking of Joe Biden, take a listen to what President Trump had to say about Joe Biden earlier today. Here he is. Biden is dropping like a rock. I don't, I don't think he's going to make it. I didn't think he was going to make it for a long time. I don't think he's going to make it. And I guess this is one way he can do it. You know, he didn't say that until right now. And he sees what's happening to him. I guess he's no longer the front runner. So do you think... I mean, do you think initially, Bob, when when Trump world was going after Biden, it was because they really did feel that he 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 had. Remember when Hillary Clinton was popular when she left the State Department, uh, but <laughs> she, he kind of had the, that level of of political favor within the public. I mean, do they really do you think that it, they're overconfident or do you think Biden is very weak right now? I, I think, well, first of all, Trump is a great campaigner. We saw that in 2016. And from the Trump campaign, yeah, they were nervous. We talked to a lot of Republicans and they said they were nervous about Biden, that he could win states certainly like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan, uh, which Trump all won. So now I think the strategy here from the Trump campaign is win-win. You go after the Bidens, you weaken him, maybe he doesn't win and then you get 
possibly, which number two is Elizabeth Warren, and then you have a socialism argument. You really don't have the socialism argument with Warren, but then you get a if with if Biden, Biden with well, yes with Biden, sorry, and and if if uh, Biden somehow does win, and I think certainly he can win the polls. He's doing quite well. He survived the summer, and I, I, then he's a weakened frontrunner. Yeah, I got to fact check a little bit Trump saying that he never thought Biden would do well. Trump was saying that he could see Biden doing well, uh, you know, a few months ago. Uh, so he kind of does rev- a little bit of revision. President Trump? No. Him going back on his work? Never. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is. Uh, I do think that uh, if you look at Trump's um, – People who don't like Trump, everyone's pretty set in their opinion. Yeah, everyone's set in their race. So So as long as he's not removed from office, you know, dragging uh, Biden into a mudslinging fest with him, like maybe a win-win. I was so struck by this. I had lunch with a senior Republican aide today uh, who a hawkish – to a hawkish Republican. And I'm really struck – and coming up, we're going to talk more about foreign policy. I was really struck at how – these Republicans who are uneasy with the president's actions on Syria are not juxtaposing this at all with the impeachment. They have clearly separated the impeachment uh, story from every other issue, whether it relates to China, whether it relates to Syria, uh, to, to USMCA. It is completely separate from every other part of the president's agenda, at least for now. And candidly, initially when all of this happened, folks weren't entirely sure. Panel stays coming up. We go around the world, talk foreign policy with The Hill's editor-in-chief, Bob Cusack, and of course the Ryan Teague Beckwith of Bloomberg News. Uh, You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're having continuing coverage all week about the U.S.-China trade talks, which are set to formally, formally kick off tomorrow here in Washington, D.C. If you saw Tom Keene's interview with the IMF leaders uh, yesterday, you'll know that the, the world is watching, not just Wall Street, but the world, just to see the back and forth between the U.S. and China. The Financial Times reporting earlier today that the Chinese have agreed to buy something like 10 million more tons of, you guessed it, soybeans in order to, I guess, have an olive branch, a soybean olive branch. I'm trying, folks. I don't think that's a good metaphor. That's, yeah, I, I tried. That was Ryan Teague Beckwith, who's much better with the, a much better wordsmith than I will ever be. Ryan Teague Beckwith is our national political reporter here at Bloomberg News. And I'm also joined by Bob Cusack. He is the editor-in-chief, of course, of The Hill newspaper. You can find all of their reporting at thehill.com. So the China talks are flaring up. Meanwhile, Turkey, did you see this? Turkey launched a ground incursion into Syria as the U.S. stands aside. Bob, the president has received such forceful pushback from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to uh, uh, top Republicans in the House of Representatives. I'm struck by really how aggressive Liz, Liz Cheney has been at the forefront of this criticism as well. Liz Cheney really emerging, continuing to emerge as a dominant force within the House Republican caucus. But 
is there anything really that House Republicans in Congress can do, Bob? Not really. I mean, I would expect that House Democrats are going to have try to have some vote on this to put Republicans in an awkward position of either supporting their president uh, or not. And, of course, a lot of Republicans, and we, you mentioned Cheney, she may run for the Senate. If she runs in the Senate, she's going to have a contested primary against uh, former Congresswoman Cynthia Loomis. Uh, and Rand Paul doesn't want uh, Cheney in, in the Senate, so he's supporting Loomis. So going after the president hurts you in a primary, without a doubt. And But I was struck. I, I agree with you, Kevin. I was struck about how forceful the criticism was. But again, it's not personally going after the president. It's just on his policies and uh, at least on this one, this specific one. Uh, and and certainly Trump didn't like that. And you've seen that with his Twitter feed. Isn't it so interesting, Ryan, just how Republicans over the last three years or so have recalibrated its I disagree with the policy. I'm not going after him publicly. I'm not going. It's, it's, it's all policy driven. It's uh, what's funny to me is how much their reaction to a lot of what Trump does is, well, I, I haven't seen the news <laughs> or the tweet, uh, you know, as though we're tweet. not all carrying around a little machine in our pocket that shows you the news at any time you want. I mean, I'm you on a social stop. media cleanse, so I've been good. Uh-huh, but you could still open yeah. it up and look up the news. Um, I don't read the tweets. But when it's something like this, they react and strongly. And I think that shows the pressure points between Trump and the sort of traditional Republican uh, viewpoints on things uh, like military incursions overseas, um, where those pressure points remain. I just don't, I, I just think – and Bob, I remember one of the times you were on this program when a similar announcement was made with regards to troop withdrawal. I, I just don't think the American people are used – to such swift action overseas without some type of plan being announced. Right. The pre- did he miss? Did the president miss an opportunity to use something? I don't know, like an Oval Office address or something of that caliber. We know he doesn't like that, but to explain why, even if you don't agree with it, why he decided to pull back the troops, and to forecast to the Kurds essentially that the U.S. still has their back. Yeah, I mean, uh, about a week ago, the coverage was basically Turkey was saying, we're going in. All right, we're go-. And so if if you guys, if the U.S. wants to be out of the danger zone, then you've got to get out. There was a call between Erdogan and uh, Trump. We don't know the details of that, but obviously he acted right after that call. The, the politically, I think where the, the White House misstepped, and certainly Trump did not handle this the best way, there was no heads up to anybody. Everyone was caught flat-footed on this. Now, maybe it's because if he tried to sell it, it wasn't going to sell in his own party, but at the same time, the the, the carry-through of this controversial policy was not, was not a but good one. Can I just Go say, ahead. has there ever been a heads up from Trump on anything? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic here. I mean, he announced the the policy on transgender troops by a tweet. Um, he does a lot of this stuff by tweet, and I think that he believes, really and, and truly, uh, deep in his core, that being unpredictable is an asset. That surprising that. people is. I mean, yeah, we, that he used to say during the campaign that like we we, te- we telegraph too much what we're doing. The the other the enemy can can just watch the news and see and then respond to it. And and he is living by that ethos. Take a listen to what he said to that point, Ryan, which is such a great point. Take a listen to what President Trump said earlier today uh, about what he believes would happen uh, should Turkey uh, and President Erdogan cross the line. Here he is. I will wipe out his economy if that happens. I've already done it once. 
So he says that he would continue on with with sanctions with regards to to Turkey. But, you know, then I hear from Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican from South Carolina to Fox News. He didn't like this one bit. Here's here's Senator Lindsey Graham. If he follows through with this, it'd be the biggest mistake of his presidency. I would argue for him to go back to the status quo. These safe zones were working, patrolling with Turkey and international forces to protect the Kurds and Turkey is the way to go. You know, I, I'm struck by this, and, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn here. Maybe I shouldn't say this. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yes, you say. But, uh, doesn't no, but me. I don't think people in Washington, because, you know, I, I, I think so much of the rhetoric here in Washington is, oh, Americans don't care about this type of story. You know, they're, they're glued to the impeachment. But, you know, if you have a military family, if you have a family uh, that is impacted by the military, you are impacted by this story and, 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 the, and the, the, the effect that, that these types of decisions have. Uh, on the United States and troops all around the world. You mentioned the transgender ban, and obviously troop withdrawal is another type of story that has severe impacts on families and service members all around the world. And Bob, I think that we miss sometimes in Washington that outside of here, there is a swath of Americans, yes, on the left and yes, on the right, who view troop withdrawal as a positive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, with, whether it's Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, there's war weariness. However, at the same time, the Kurds were fighting ISIS, and ISIS has certainly been weakened. They're still there. And if they get more powerful and they're able to, uh, to launch an attack on U.S. allies or uh, here in the United States, well, then it becomes real. And then it becomes, why did you do that? And there's a lot of second guessing. And that's what basically Lindsey Graham, who is a hawk, as you know, is making the case. And that's the, that's the danger uh, of what Trump is doing. But there is a huge debate of, yeah, bring him home, the Rand Paul part uh, of the party. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi, yeah. And, 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 and there are Democrats and Republicans on, on both sides of this issue. But at the same time, people aren't voting on Syria policy. Yeah, I think that's much more of a long-term risk. Um, that the Islamic State could regain ground or something horrific could happen and then be traceable to uh, this decision. Um, I think a lot of the other things that have gone on um, with the military have just been continuations of things that were before that. And so there wasn't that same level of responsibility. But if there is some kind of mass slaughter of Kurds or something like that next week, or if six months from now, the Islamic State regains ground, or God knows what could happen, um, then yes, this moment will then come up. And maybe again, this is out of turn, but you know, it's it's Wednesday. I'm feeling a little like, I, you know, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Christine Barada, our executive producer, just kidding. Uh, but But I think I think people do want to hear a clear articulation of what the commander in chief's vision is for these. The Trump doctrine. The Trump doctrine. There is no Trump doctrine. But well, there is, but it, but it's there. But we don't have an actual doctrine. You know, to to that point, a literal doctrine, Uh, and the interpretation and the and the thinking of why the troop withdrawal is happening and what was the decision making. I mean, we all know this working in this business. Where's the New York Times process story about all the situation room work that went in with regards to them tracking things? You know, remember when we when we killed Osama bin Laden and there was all you know you got an inside look. I think the American people on both sides of the aisle want that window into how these decisions are made. And President Trump has calculated and decided that the unpredictability, which got him to the White House, 
is something for him. Coming up, panel reacts to more policy and politics driving the day. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're talking all things 2020. we got to talk 2020. And, and Senator Bernie Sanders, did you see this? Senator Bernie Sanders facing questions about when he disclosed his heart attack. Yesterday, Bloomberg News reported that the that really essentially a couple days went by uh, before after Senator Sanders had the heart attack and then disclosed it. And now Senator Sanders is speaking out in an exclusive interview with NBC News's Harry Sanders. Senator Bernie Sanders uh, says that he, quote, misspoke about scaling back rallies after his heart attack. He's vowing a, quote, vigorous 2020 campaign. And uh, he pushes back on the notion that he that he was not transparent about his health, saying that the campaign, quote, acted appropriately before disclosing he had a heart attack. Ryan T. Beck, Ryan T. Beckwith is here. He is Bloomberg News National political reporter, as is Bob Cusack. He is the editor in chief of The Hill newspaper. Bob, is this the first att- uh, the gloves coming off, so to speak, against uh, with the other candidates against Senator Sanders? Well, I mean, I, I think to some degree, but Sanders, I mean, the, the initial press release said that the senator experienced some discomfort, and, and I've never, fortunately, have had the, had a heart attack, but you don't say I'm experiencing discomfort. They did not reveal it was a heart attack. That was that was basically the doctors who said that a few days later. I, I actually thought Sanders handled it well initially, where he said, listen, I, I, I didn't listen to my body, and I, I, I need to scale back a bit. And I think he became more human with that, and, and certainly he's gotten some, some praise for that. But now, uh, I, I do think he is also recognizing the danger of health scares to candidates and he wants to tell everybody i'm back and i'm going full bore he's the oldest candidate in this race he's 78 years old i believe elizabeth warren bernie sanders president trump and biden are all over over the age of 70 ryan teague beckwith uh Elizabeth Warren also facing some criticism in the past 24 hours for her saying that she was forced out of a job when she was pregnant as a school uh, – was she a school teacher when this – the job, yeah, she the job had, she in question? a school teacher. A yeah. school teacher, and she says that she was forced out of the job. Uh, she's standing by that. Republicans are, are questioning that timeline. So Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders under, under little scrutiny in the past 24 hours. I'm, I'm just going to say that as an all-male panel, we should all take a deep breath before intoning on pregnancy discrimination, much less that happened three years before I was born. Um, 
I I think that there's going to be the the criticism is mostly centered on her previous descriptions of why she didn't go back to teaching and whether those line up with what she's now saying. Um, I think that there was an article in a conservative newspaper which sort of attempted to say here's these records which show that uh, which disprove her story. I think that was a little bit overhyped. Um, obviously, no one wrote down fired because pregnant, you know, ever. Uh, but pregnancy discrimination is still a problem, was a problem back then. Um, I personally have a family member who was let go in the early 80s for um, basically the same thing. It was just – it was like, oh, you're pregnant. You have to go. And that was after the Pregnancy Discrimination Act was was passed. And that family member has never even described that to me as pregnancy discrimination. Just was was like, well, that's just how things were done. So I, I think that the, the, there's two risks here. There's a risk for Warren um, that you add this to Pocahontas, you, you know, and it becomes a, an Al Gore like Elizabeth Warren says a lot of things and they're not true. And, uh, and she gets bogged down trying to argue the specifics of each case and then it becomes kind of a she's not trustworthy thing. There's also a risk, though, to Republicans – uh, in the current environment, especially of just basically, you know, hand waving away, like, I don't believe that you face discrimination um, when so many women are so angry about not having been believed about sexual harassment, sexual misconduct. There's a new book out with new allegations against President Trump. Like, I think that. Are you talking about Ronan's book? Fire. Uh, there's another book. Oh, there's another Esquire one. Okay. An I thought I was from. like, I thought they were against Lauer. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I think that's playing with fire to get a, too aggressive on, like, we don't believe you uh, over this pregnancy. All right. So Warren's under the microscope. Sanders is under the microscope. Bob Cusack, Joe Biden, and Ukraine. <laughs> He's yeah. under the microscope. I, I, it feels like we're entering into a new phase. Of the of the Democratic primary, we are at the same time. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, yes. but also Saturday Night Live is making fun of all of them. I watched that 10 minute skit from over the weekend, and I, that Kamala Harris bit was hilarious. That was pretty good. That was, was pretty good. No, when, they, when, they, when that show does politics, it's quite good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, the, the Democrats are not going to talk about this Warren latest Warren controversy. Uh, Democrats certainly publicly, publicly, but, publicly, they're not, they're not going to go after. They're Sanders. talking about it to right. all of us, <laughs> right? They're not going after Sanders' health certainly at the debate. They're not going to go after. They've defended Biden on on the Ukraine controversy. But these are all things that Trump is or has been talking about, and that's going to hurt in a general election. And now I think the war on the American Indian heritage thing, that was kind of a, that was a bit of a disaster for Elizabeth Warren. This, I think, is different. This did happen in 1971, and I, I think she's come out very forcefully she about it. She is running a sharp campaign. She is. Yeah, and you can make the argument that she is handling this issue better than Biden in Ukraine. More Democrats that we've talked to want Biden out there saying, how you dare you go after my family? He's done some of that, but they he, that they feel like he needs to do more of that. Uh, because remember, Biden has big argument is, I can beat Trump. Uh, Warren's controversies do, do hammer away because you talk to Democrats. I'm sure you've talked to Democrats outside the beltway who really don't like Trump at all, and they're nervous about Warren. But uh, they're also – I, I got to be very careful here, but they're also uh, 
maybe not as motivated to vote for Joe Biden. No, that's right. No, the passion is there for right? Warren, and that's yeah. that's a Biden problem because crowd size does make a difference, as we saw in 2016. Remember, some people in the media would say, oh, well, in 2016, these people will show up in Wisconsin oh, for Trump. Vote. They'll the, never vote. They'll wait, they'll wait <laughs> right. in line yeah. for four hours, but they're not going to go vote. Oh, in, okay, in, okay, In two-degree two weather, yeah. and yeah. they're not going to spend uh-huh. half hey, an hour I was at those rallies, right. and it was, like, very cold or very right. hot because yeah. there was never heat. But anyway, all right, good stuff. Panel stays coming up. What's on their radar? We zip around the world and up to Wall Street. What's the central bank saying about the potential for another economic slowdown? Panel stays. Bob Cusack, the editor-in-chief of The Hill newspaper. Ryan Teague Beckwith, Bloomberg News polit- National Politics reporter. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guests with me for the hour, The Hill's Editor-in-Chief, Bob Cusack. You can find all their reporting on thehill.com. And my colleague, Bloomberg News National Political Reporter, Ryan Teague Beckwith. All right, it's time for What's on Your Radar. I've got Fed Chair Jay Powell on my radar. Uh, He says that a rise in American workplace automation could exacerbate inequality in the coming decades, not between robots and humans, but between the 1% and everybody else. Uh, He says this during uh, a Fed Listens event at the Kansas City Fed. Quote, are we entering into one of those periods where a lot of what is now work can be done much more efficiently through automation? And will that have really challenging distributional consequences At least for a few decades, that could be the case. The part of this we control, though, is getting people the skills and talents and aptitudes that they need to be able to benefit from technology, end quote. You know, so much of what we talk about, so much of the contours of this race as it relates to cities and urban planning, as well as the heartland in the United States, Bob, as it, it, it's, it's all about the, the, the rise in automation, whether we're talking about trade policy, whether we're talking about environmental policy, the rise in automation and whether or not coal industry, right. uh, the rise in automation and whether or not American workers are going to be prepared for that and both parties really debating that. Uh, in in layman's terms, yeah, and uh, it's a it's a huge issue that in the next ten fifteen years as technology improves, what is how is that going to affect the workforce? You mentioned coal, that was a huge issue in twenty sixteen, and and it was something that Trump liked to talk about. Um, but it's it's something that is going to be a huge, I think, underrated issue in the years to come. So the other big story today, of course, from. Uh from the Fed world is that the Federal Federal Reserve officials began debating how far their current interest rate cutting campaign should extend, even as they agreed to lower rates in response to growing risks to the U.S. economy. I'm reading from Christopher Condon's reporting on the Bloomberg terminal, uh, which is just really fascinating because the backdrop, the meeting minutes that, that we got, the backdrop to all of this is, of course, the president's attacks on, on Fed Chair Jay Powell. So his his memoir, now there's a book I can't wait to read, Fed Chair Jay Powell, I mean, because his his take on all of this. As long as it's not written like a typical Fed statement. <laughs> right. 
You're going to get me in so much trouble, Ryan, which is why I love having you on because you always bring out the re- the real me because you're right. I mean we do want to hear from a central be- – I covered – He's a good editor though. When Larry Summers They're was impenetrable. deemed – impenetrable. When Larry Summers was deemed – was criticized as being too outspoken to be Fed chair. Remember that? And then Janet Yellen got the, got the head spot. All right. So Jay Powell's on my radar today. Who's on your? What's on your radar, Ryan Teague Beckwith? Uh, like honestly, if it doesn't have the word Trump and Ukraine in it, it's I just I am so in just knee deep in this. Well, I what's spent, an aspect of the Ukraine story that that has come out? That you can I tell us about? actually I spent. You can uh, look for this tomorrow morning on your Bloomberg terminal. But I spent all day reading old Trey Gowdy comments about uh, process. Um, and he had a habit uh, when he was in charge of the House Oversight Committee and at other times in his career of making – starting with a sweeping statement of principle like the executive branch should provide documents to Congress and then delving into the particulars of why he was upset with the Obama administration on this or that issue. And some of these comments are not going to be his friend as he tries to argue for uh, Trump's position in the impeachment inquiry. I think it's a smart choice, though. I mean, that, that's an opinion. I, I don't really like to give opinion. But I, I think Corey Lewandowski or Trey Gowdy, right? Who would you? <laughs> oh, I mean, I think that for this phase, yes, yeah. fighting uh, uh, fighting a House, basically a House oversight uh, inquiry with someone who knows how House who took on Benghazi, right? right. Yeah. yeah, but if it goes to a Senate trial, he's going to need somebody different. It's interesting. It is interesting. And I still get the sense from the, the Republicans that I talk with up on the Hill and the staffers. I don't want to say they're not taking it seriously. Seriously, but they're not freaking out over it, which is really interesting to me. I, I think that the Gowdy thing is a very interesting issue because he also took some heat from Trump allies, including Sean Hannity, for pushing back on Spygate. He has not been with Trump on some big issues. And so I think it's a, it's a, an unusual hire. Remember Trey Gowdy when he retired from Congress said, I'm tired of politics. Well, <laughs> I'm going to go home to South Carolina. Well, he hasn't quite done that the yet. The impeachment's too good. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So that's Trey Gowdy's on your radar. Thanks, for All right. Bob Cusack, what's on your radar? I think this NBA China story yeah. Is fascinating, and I, I, you know, I'm a big sports fan. I didn't know how big the NBA is in Neither China. Did I. Yao Ming's the head of the Chinese basketball league, right? And there. used to play for the Houston right. Rockets, and that was the controversy with the general manager of the Rockets started this. He sent out this tweet supporting Hong Kong protesters, and then it became an international incident. Now the other sports aren't as big as as China, so the NBA fumbled a bit uh, handling this, but. But they also are, in, are stuck because China is very upset about this, and it comes down to money. And we're seeing the NBA. This is going to be an ongoing story uh, in the weeks to come because the NBA has to straddle this line. They don't want to lose their uh, audience in China. It's a bit risky for China because if, if China says, OK, we're going to shut off the NBA, there are a lot of NBA fans apparently in China. So just to catch everybody up, the other day you had the general manager of the Houston Rockets tweet out a picture uh, that essentially says stand with Hong Kong against China with regards to the protest. They had to delete the tweet. China backs out of all of their arrangements with the NBA. And it's interesting because as the Chinese delegation is set to come to the United States to meet with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer tomorrow and Friday, and we've been covering the roller coaster with regards to those negotiations, the perception here in the U.S. is that President Xi has a thorn in his side with the Hong Kong protests. The perception in Beijing is President Trump has a thorn in his side with impeachment. Both sides 
are saying no, not so fast. President Trump, though, to Bob's point, was asked about this just this afternoon. We don't even have the soundbite cut, but we do have the verbate, the verbate, as we call it in the industry. Uh, and he says he was asked by a reporter within the last hour, are you OK with the Chinese government pressuring the NBA over Hong Kong? President Trump answered, quote, they have to work out their own situation. The NBA, they know what they are doing, but I watch the way that I'm paraphrasing the leadership, not paraphrasing anymore. We're pandering to China and yet to our own country. It is like they do not respect it. It is like they don't respect it. I said, what a difference. It is very sad to me. It is very sad. End quote. It's interesting. He's insinuating an NFL season that the NBA and other sports leagues haven't been as standing with him as he would have liked. My thanks to Ryan Teague Beckwith. My thanks to the Hills, Bob Cusack. That does it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.